I'm upset, really, like deep down in my heart. Like, oh, man. Oh. Me, I'm, oh, you know, man. Hmm. Right. The Ring Magazine and the WBA Super, I think. What's he doing here? I don't care about strong. I have that skills. And he threw them down. Skills win boxing. Yes. Why? Okay. You're not strong. How did you beat me? I'm not sure his team understood it. Let's do the skill. Let's do the I have character. Okay. Let's do the termination. Listen, listen, listen. I just want I'm a new breed of heavyweights. All them heavyweights, Mike Tyson, Sonny Liston, Jack Dempsey. Oh, yeah, you don't throw combinations like Rocky Marciano. Because I ain't 14 stone, that's why. I'm 18 stone, I'm heavy. It's hard work. This guy here is a phenomenal talent. We're going to cheer for him three times. Well, how many belts you got now, bro? Five. Now, I ain't no amateur boxer from five years old that was an elite prospect from a youth, bro. I was going to jail. I see some technical youths in Reading jail. I got bail and I started training my arse off. Because if I got sentenced, I wanted to be able to fight. I bust my case. But cousin Benga, where's he at? G14, raise your hand. Hey guys, and Merry Christmas to everybody. Um, hopefully you're all with families and loved ones and you're kind of enjoying that time to, to do nothing and, you know, just bond. I guess it's like being in a lockdown again, really. So we've, we've, we had two years of practice at this, so we should be able to get it right by now, if nothing else. I don't know how you describe this episode. It's not quite the King's speech, but it's probably not far off. And I want to just freestyle one, just off the top of the dome, like, for once, no notes written. It's just what's in my head. And I wanted to talk about, well, the title says it all, right? Where's it gone wrong for Anthony Joshua? Now, now, now the, the easy approach, the smart, the smart-ass approach is to go, it was never right. But no, no, there was a point when it was. And you can, you can, I think there's a point when it was 100% right for AJ. And it was also 100% wrong. And you can pinpoint it down to that night in April. Was it April 27th, 2017, when he fought Vladimir Klitschko? Whatever people try and say, that remains the high point of AJ's career. That might still be the biggest win on his record. So how are we over five and a half years later and he's facing an existential crisis? He's... He's potentially in the last chance saloon. And the prospects don't look good. And this isn't something that people haven't been calling for before. But it's, I think the last six months have revealed a fragility, not only around AJ, but around that whole edifice of the Joshua Project that is concerning, but is also a lesson to many people. 
But what I've tried to do is I've tried to wrestle with this idea and go, what is it about AJ that makes this feel like a massive decline? Because part of me thinks that he's actually overachieved. But we've got to do this chronologically. So we've got to go all the way back to, to OG AJ. And I remember him from like 09, right? Because you just hear the name, this kid, Anthony Joshua. I remember Steve Bunce coming in talking about Anthony Joshua. And at the time it was like, I think he'd be a good fight for Domac and Ladi. And like in the gym, we were like, <laughs> on paper, it probably is. And on paper, it's probably an easy fight for Dom. But what happens on paper and what happens in the ring sometimes are two different things. And so at the time, probably the best heavyweight the Lodge had, the most likely guy to do damage, Linton wasn't available for whatever reasons. He wasn't available. He was probably the only guy in London that people were confident would have given AJ trouble because he was so awkward. Um, absolute tank of a man now as well. What, 22 stone. But back then he was, what, just over 100 and was just wiping people out with maybe the craziest combinations I've seen a big man throw. So really, in that time period, the guys from the lodge that Joshua fought, he fought one of my friends, Junior, big junior and hey i remember when he punched his head guard off there's a video of it aj's actually posted that video on his instagram he punched the head guard clean off and maybe they should have stopped the fight at that point but they let it carry on and i think joshua hit him with exactly the same shot and i remember the unwavering opinion was this guy's relentless he's so hungry to succeed you know, you're talking to the guys like Johnny Oliver, uh, Sean Murphy, etc. And that's all they talk about. This guy doesn't miss a session, doesn't. And they just, they, they said it early, he will go all the way. And we're like, yeah, we'll see. We've still got Dominic, man. He's still got to get past Dominic and Lardy. We'll see. And so that happens. He fights Dominic in the final of the Londons in the ABA's 2010. Uh doesn't land a glove on him, by the way, but Dom just didn't let his hands go. At that point there, that's when the Joshua train could have stopped dead. If Dom had shown up, like, at his best level, it stops right there. But he didn't, and Joshua gets out of London, and then the run to the ABA final was relatively easy. Now, he came about at this time when we didn't have great heavyweights. If you really look at it from that era... Who's really sustained anything from that kind of 2009, 2010, 2011 sort of intake? Nobody. We just didn't produce good heavyweights. It's like prior to David Price, we didn't produce any good heavyweights. And then we had Fury and we had David Price come up. And Fury is the guy who persisted. But always been a struggle we've had guys like the dolans and the mcdermott's but they were like solid at british level your sam sexton's and joshua just came at that fallow period kind of fury and price had occupied so much of boxing's mind when it came to big men that everyone else had kind of disappeared or wandered off and it was kind of joshua domak and Lardy, in, in the london scene for sure uh you can probably throw in a guy like um, Armin Issa 
And then broadly, nationally, you're looking at guys like Josh Qualey and so on and so forth, right? So Josh has this relatively easy run to the ABAs. Wins them. He might win it twice. Gets into GB. And this is why this is important. Look at every Olympic cycle, right? Would he have made the GB team in 2004? Yes. Because we only really sent Amir Khan that year. Would he have made the GB team in 2008? I don't think he beats David Price. I think Price would have been too mature, too big and too strong in 2008. So he doesn't make that squad. He doesn't make 2016. Because I don't think he beats Joe Joyce in a month of Sundays. Um, well, not, okay, let me rephrase that. He doesn't beat the 2016 version of Joe Joyce. He beats, because people say that Josh beat him in the amateurs, but Joe was so green back then. Like, he was greener than Joshua was. So, AJ wouldn't beat the 2016 version of Joe Joyce. So, he doesn't get in that squad. Would he have beaten Fraser Clark? Yes. But would he have beaten Daniel Dubois if Dubois had boxed in 2020? No. So, when you start to look at Olympic cycles, it's hard because he definitely wouldn't have made 2000. So, over a 20-year cycle, Joshua would have probably made two of the Olympic squads. Now, I'm going to contrast that. I believe Joe Joyce makes every Olympic squad. The 2016 version of Joe Joyce makes every Olympic squad. I think he's unbeatable. And I always thought Audley Harrison was unbeatable. And then I saw what Joe was capable of doing. And Joe was probably unbeatable at the British level in the amateurs. So Joshua was lucky he came at the right time. The only other time he could have come and been as successful was probably 2004. I think that was, was that, yeah, that's something like a Povetkin one. And then you look at the 2012 Olympics. Gets a gift against Eris Landisvon, a gift, an absolute gift. An absolute gift. And people still say that's one of the biggest injustices they've seen in a boxing ring. So if you remember in 2012, it was the old clicker system, wasn't it? And I think Joshua beat Savon by a point, but it really felt like Savon probably won that by four or five points. And then he has an easier fight against, uh, what's the big lump called? Gilles Zhang. And I think he kind of wins that one comfortably. And then he fights Ivan Ditchko, who was a Ukrainian or Azaria, I can't even remember. And he was a big lump. He was 6'9". Joshua, he, he, he won that, but he kind of limped over the line on that one. And then in the Olympic final, he fights Roberto Camarelli. And they finished tied, if you remember. And I think it was one on, literally like on a countback. And that, that didn't feel satisfactory at all. It felt like Camarelli had done enough to, to limp over the line, in his case. But here's, here's the irony. Of the people who fought in that tournament, where are they now? Who had a career? That wasn't a vintage era. That wasn't like 2016 where you had Joyce, Hergovic and Yoka. So once again, in terms of winning a medal, was 2012 the only year Joshua could have won the Olympic gold medal? I would say so. A younger Camarelli seemed to give everyone trouble. 
And then even before that, like you got guys like you know, with Harrison. Harrison would have given him trouble. Uh God, who won it? I keep saying Pavetkin won, but I don't know if he won the super heavyweight or the heavyweight. So let me not let me not touch on that one because I like I don't don't have any reference points at the moment. Um so like I said, it doesn't beat Camarelli, doesn't beat doesn't beat Joker, or if you think Joyce won, he doesn't beat Joyce, and he definitely doesn't beat Jalilov. So he's not among the great, even if you went back to 96, that's Vlad. He's not among the great Olympians. But he won the Olympic gold and we respect him for that. So by this point, everyone's excited by AJ. And the reason they're excited by AJ is he's got a really good reputation. You've got to thank Johnny Oliver and Sean Murphy for, for doing that. Like They were like his PR machine in the amateur game. Unbelievably. And even when you met AJ... Nice guy. The impression you got from him was, there's a nice kid from Watford. You never got the impression that, oh, there's a serious guy. Because you've got to remember, at this point, we're living in South London. We're living in SE1. Like, things are really, really happening. Do you know what I mean? You know, like, the streets are red hot. So we know the scary people. You know, if you're Dylan and you're around some of those scary people, which he was, and to an extent, he was one of them. You know, you still had the OGs like Danny Williams and they were doing their thing. Uh, Julius Francis, all these big lumps floating around South London at various points. And then you get this Joshua guy. And he's not pretending to be street. He's nice. He's polite. He's friendly. Monster in the ring, but a nice guy out of it. And you got this good impression. And all you could say was, I hope he does well. You weren't sure of it. Yes, you heard the rumors about him sparring Tyson Fury, but Fury then is not Fury now. You know, that that Fury was a young hothead who thought he was indestructible. The one we have now has been humbled by life and understands his gift a lot more. So post-2012... Now we're like, okay, he's got the Olympic gold medal. Are we going to get a Lennox Lewis type career? And if you remember, he disappeared for a bit. You know, after he won that Olympic gold medal, he disappeared for a bit. Now, some people talk about that year being the year where he, he disappeared to huff a whole load of steroids and balloon up in weight, which wasn't actually the case. Um, if, you, if you look at that year, I think he met with everybody. Al, Mayweather, Oscar, Bob, Frank. He met with everyone who could do something for his career. The sides on Matchroom, um, there may be some ulterior motives, may have been the amount of control he knew that he could have over Eddie, who knows. But he signs for them. But here's the interesting thing. He makes his debut on, was it like, like what was it, Lee Selby card? Lee Selby against Ryan Walsh? And I just remember that night for being in the card. Danny Connell was on that card. And this is kind of when we were talking. I remember asking him what Joshua was like. He was like, yeah, he's sound. He's sound. But Joshua didn't weigh much more then than he had in the Olympics. I think in the Olympics, he was about 103, 104 kilos. And probably for this fight, he was about 106. So if he was taking a, a, a shit ton of steroids, well done. Cool. But it, it didn't look that way. Just from, from what was being shown on the scales. But you never know. And so he debuts against, was it, Emanuele Leo, fights Paul Butlin a few weeks later, and that's the run. He's just wiping people out. 
but like I said, you're fighting these sorts. This is the caliber of guy you're fighting. You're fighting guys like Gary Cornish for the Commonwealth, I think. Wiping him out. We never saw Cornish after that. So now we're looking at this guy. Yeah, they're giving him some easy fights. There's one name we'd like him to fight, and it was Dillian. But Dillian was on his ban. When, when it really became a, a realistic prospect, Dillian was just coming off his ban. Remember, they didn't really give him any tune-ups. They said, right, you've got to fight him by the end of the year, or there's no, there's no option to do it later on. So Dillian never got to shake the ring rust off. You wonder what would have happened if Dillian had another six months to prepare. But promoters now had to keep their guy in, in an advantageous position. So he, 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 let's be honest, he wipes the floor with Dillian, right? Stops him happily, beautifully. And that was that whole, you know, that was that the, the Joshua machine really kicked in with the fancy outfits, the rappers, all of that stuff starts to kick in on that Dillian fight. And you remember from now on, you can only see AJ on pay-per-view and all this sort of stuff. That's when that nonsense started. But once you put yourself in that position, and here's, here's when people started to go, I'm not so sure about this guy. When you got hurt to the body, people said, okay, we've seen the weakness. You can get him to the body. He doesn't seem to like it. And that should never be a weakness that you reveal. I think you should always be able to take shots to the body. The thing I take away from that period was what you'd hear from guys who sparred AJ. Even if he got the better of them, they're always like, you can back him up with body shots. That was it. You can back him up with body shots. And someone did say this. When he's hit, he stays hit. And I always parked that away and said, okay, that's a real expression. When someone says, when he's hit, he stays hit, those of us in the game know what that means. It's like, oh, okay. So you know yeah, you got a bit of a, a Frank Bruno syndrome. And I don't mean that, oh, he's muscle-bound and stiff. It's just Frank was like that. If you hit Frank around the top of the head, that was it. Like, it took him at least a couple of rounds to kind of get his focus back and get his body functioning as it was before. But after Dillian, everything changes. Because bear in mind at this point, the plan had always been to go after Wilder. Because if Fury had the belt, it was too much hassle. It was too much risk. So it's like, right, we're going to go after Wilder. We think he's, he's gettable. Then there's a twist of fate. IBF order Glasgow versus Martin. Glasgow falls and breaks his ankle. Never boxes again. Charles Martin's declared the champion. The least deserving IBF champion you can think of. And all bets are off, right? So what do they do? Because now, now, remember, that was mandated by the IBF. So the first fight Martin has is a voluntary. Eddie Hearn says there's six and a half million dollars. Yeah, come to the UK, come and hand the belt over. Prefer you bubble wrapped it, but hey, however you want to give it to us, give it to us. And the Joshua hype train went, in, went into overdrive after that win. And it was, it was a solid win. Downed him with the same shot twice, won the second round. But even at that point, we were all asking ourselves, is he really ready? Is he ready for these guys like Lewis Ortiz and so on and so forth? Is he even ready for a guy like Tony Thompson? 
because that Dillian, that Dillian fight planted a seed. What happens if someone shows up willing to fight? Charles Martin didn't show up willing to fight. In Joshua's first defense of the IBF against Dominic Brazil, Brazil didn't show up to fight. Brazil showed up to prove how tough he was. So those fights told us nothing. As much as Eddie tried to convince us that Joshua was running over world beaters, we knew that these guys were just paper bag champions, paper bag contenders. Guys who, look, Wilder put one of them to sleep with comfort, with ease. Like, put him to sleep, which Joshua couldn't do. I don't even think Joshua knocked him off his feet, did he? And in, in the midst of all of this, we're still working out what Tyson Fury is going to do. You know, he's still you know, railing against the system. Um, you know, mental health, this, mental health, that. It, it's, it's not going well for him. And, you know, you don't wish anyone any ill feeling. But as you're getting towards a year and Joshua fights Molina, you now realize Fury's going to have to give up all the belts. Now we can see the Hearn plan kicking in, right? And Joshua fights Molina, disgrace of a fight. I think Molina failed a drug test after that. But yeah, embarrassing fight. So 2016, Joshua hasn't faced anyone that we really respect. He just hasn't. 2017, what? The WBA becomes available. Now they realize they don't have to fight Wilder. Meanwhile, Wilder's starching people left, right and center. They don't have to fight him now. And Hearn manages to concoct a fight for the WBA super title between Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko. Vlad, who was coming off a loss and 18 months gap year, doing whatever the hell he was doing. And they managed to concoct this fight. And this is, I repeat, this is both the high point of Joshua's career and potentially the low point. It's definitely the beginning of the end. Because if you remember in that fight, Vlad looked rusty. His timing was off. He was trying to do the things he was doing three years ago and he realized, I can't quite get there. But you always got the impression he was warming up. And then he got dropped by Joshua and that seemed to wake him up. And old Vlad started to come back. Now remember the straight right that Klitschko hit Joshua with. Remember that shot. Was it round five, round six? I can't remember. Remember that shot Vlad hit him with. Pulled the lead hand down so the right hand had a clear path. Bang. And you can see there was a moment where Joshua's body just did a glitch. Like, doop. Stay up, stay up. Nope, can't do it. Dropped. That was the first time we saw that. And once you see that, you can never unsee it. Because it wasn't like his legs just went and he could find the ropes. It was, he stiffened up, he loosened, and he dropped. Go back and remember that fight. Go back and watch that moment again. You, you, we've never been able to unsee that in Joshua. Five and a bit years later, we don't unsee that in Anthony Joshua. And whatever happened in that fight happened, right? Let's be honest, whatever happened in that fight happened. But from that point where Joshua got dropped, and if you also just think back, just think back, just think back for a sec. Once, once Joshua got dropped in round six, it was all Klitschko. 
7 Klitschko, 8 Klitschko, 9 Klitschko, 10 Klitschko. I think one judge had it 6-4 Vlad, one had it 6-4 Joshua, and one might have had it 7-3 Joshua. But Vlad was in the ascendancy. And so this is what I call the, the high point of Joshua's career. In round 11, he took it out of the judge's hands. He dropped Vlad twice, Vlad got stopped on his feet. But as I said before, after that fight, you're like, I'm not convinced now. Because we know that was an old Vlad. What was he, 40-something? That was an old Vlad, as Porky say, in his 42nd year. So that's an old Vlad, shop-worn Vlad, a Vlad who didn't look good against Jennings, didn't look good against Fury. And as much as they try to spin it and tell us that's a prime Klitschko, he had a chance to rest his body, nah, he... Short notice, no tune-up, we ain't buying that. But it was that Joshua knockdown that gave people hope. And like, if I can just hit him in the head, I have a chance. So now look at the, the, the fights post-Klitschko. Takam couldn't really put him away until the referee had to give Takam a DDT, right? Couldn't put him away. Couldn't put him away. And what I mean by that is he didn't put him down. Didn't, couldn't do the damage to Takam. Takam was there or thereabouts. Joshua was starting to tire. The ref said, <laughs> we ain't about to let you come from behind and win, my friend. Hell no. Then you look at the, I don't know if it was Parker or Povetkin next. Um, let's say it was Parker next. So let's say it was Parker next. Couldn't really put a dent in him. Ref wouldn't let Parker work on the inside. But as history shown us, Parker's not that great on the inside. And as, as we've seen subsequently, Parker can be put down. Joshua just didn't put him down. So you start to go, what's going on here? He stopped Povetkin eventually, but Povetkin was tiny. Like Joshua should have dominated that fight. All of these things are happening. And what we're saying as fans is this... That old Joshua ain't there no more. That guy that was running over Paul Butlin, that guy that was running over Gary Cornish, where has he gone? And remember at this point, what are the discussions? Ah, he's just a muscle man. He can't box. You know, all he's relying on is just muscle power. It was all this stuff. And I'm sure that got to him because he never struck me as being the most confident of people. You know, as an underdog, he could do what wasn't expected of him, but he never looked like he could lead from the front. Show me an example of Joshua ever leading from the front. It doesn't look like he's capable of that, and that's cool. But that run from Klitschko till about Povetkin, you're like, Phew, I'm not convinced by this guy. Does it? I need to see him properly tested. And notice not once have I talked about the furore around Wilder because we already knew... <clears throat> Based on what Vladimir's right hand did, we knew he wouldn't fight Joshua. Um, Joshua wouldn't fight Wilder, sorry. Based on how Vlad landed that right hand and how Joshua reacted, we knew Deontay Wilder could have done more damage. Maybe could have split his skull. And unlike Vlad, who didn't pull the trigger once he had Joshua hurt, if you remember, Wilder would have let the hands go. We now know he's not afraid to get chinned himself. And that's an important quality to have in a heavyweight. You can't be scared to get chinned, but we're going to come on to that later. 
so from Klitschko to Povetkin, this is when the tide starts to turn against Joshua. That's why I say Vlad was the high point because people are like, what an amazing event, what an amazing moment for British sport, what a great moment for Anthony Joshua himself, right? One gold medalist defeating another. It's a great moment. You can't take that from him. But we saw, like, I think if Vlad had been fully fit, sharp, he'd have stopped Joshua. So from that point, all we saw was Joshua running away from the truth. And the truth was anyone with half-decent skills, a good jab and a good right hand probably puts him down, maybe stops him. So we got Takam Parker Povetkin. That's how you hide in plain sight. There was talk about Wilder, but the actions didn't line up. Then the next fight was meant to be Jarrell Miller. They tried to convince us that this, this butterbean-looking, overweight, failed bodybuilder-looking guy was going to give Joshua trouble. A guy who struggled to deal with Johan de Harpers was going to give Anthony Joshua trouble. We didn't believe it. We just thought he was there to be a supersized punch bag. By the grace of God, he fails a drug test and then we get a truly supersized punch bag replace him. And go back, go back to go back to that period in 2018 where we were all moaning. We were all moaning. Let's not pretend otherwise. We were moaning that he was fighting Ruiz. We were like, what are you fighting Ruiz for, man? He's not serious. That's what we thought. We're like, yeah, Ruiz ain't serious. This is, oh, man. Just fight Wilder. Make it happen. And this was probably around the time with the 50 million off and all that sort of nonsense. And in that Ruiz fight, everything that we had suspected as a boxing public came true. Everything we suspected came true. If Klitschko was a moment where we had doubts, Andy Ruiz won was when the wheels came off. When the wheels came off, all the dancing around in Dubai, the your Audemars Piguet getting robbed off you, all this sort of stuff, it all comes together, all that flashing around, playing around with chimpanzees and whatnot, sorry, orangutans, it all comes to a head. All that behavior where people are trying to excuse this guy because they were all on the Anthony Joshua hype train. Everyone, listen, everyone was trying to get their money off it. IFL, Matchroom, uh, commentators like Spencer Oliver all positioned themselves close to Joshua because that was where the grift was. And over seven rounds, Andy Ruiz just pulled all of that down. Because before Andy Ruiz, we were being told that Joshua may retire undefeated. We were told that Joshua was a new Mike Tyson. Oh, we didn't realize how true that was until Ruiz showed up. And it's worth remembering that Ruiz got put down in the third round. Ended up throwing Joshua four times in four rounds. Floored him four times. Beat Joshua to submission. Joshua went back to the corner. Why am I feeling like this? Who does that? Who does that? Contrast how Joshua coped with Ruiz with how Wilder coped with Fury in that third fight especially. As weak, as disorientated as he was, 
in as much pain and hell as Wilder was, he was still trying to find a way to get at Fury. If he could have landed one more big right-hand bomb, he would have done. And I'll, I'll go back to what I said on the New Age about Joshua that night. Andy Ruiz pulled away all the layers. The biceps got pulled off, the pecs got pulled off, the abs got pulled off, the traps got pulled off, the lats. And it revealed the inner child in Joshua. The kid who grew up in Watford. The kid who went to boarding school in Nigeria and felt a bit awkward because he was a bit too English and maybe a bit too light for Nigeria. Coming back to Watford. You know what I mean? Sticking out like a sore thumb. All of that stuff, all your insecurities, all your pains, all your traumas revealed by one guy because in that fight, you know. You know that the empire is crumbling and there's nothing you can do to save it because you're not built for that. And if you remember, the year before that, David Hay had shown us how to go out like a warrior. The man that Joshua made fun of, if you remember, he's like, why would I fight David Hay? He's past it. Made fun of him. David Hay went out like a warrior, showed how you go out. On one leg and was still fighting. Even in the second fight, he still tried to go for it. No mobility at all. Still tried to go for it. Got put down. And then a few weeks later, Anthony Joshua goes over there and just folds. And give Ruiz his credit because he may have overperformed that night. But that was... That was when the empire was done. That was when you could see McCracken was like, oh, he's been found out now. All those sparring stories we try to keep secret, those Dubois rumors, everything we try to keep secret. Now the public believe those rumors. Ocoli, Price, everything people were saying now looks like it rang true. Wow. And that was, a, if you remember, the amount of content that went out that week because Everyone wanted to take that in. Why has this happened? Why has it gone wrong? And the truth was, Joshua couldn't lead from the front. The key thing with leading from the front is you've still got to think like you're behind. And in boxing, that means you're going to have the right people around you. And the things I can tell you from what I do know is, at this point, you get the people in your ear now. And we've talked about this a lot, and we're going to come into it in a second. You get trainers messaging you or messaging your friends going, you sure McCracken's the right one? I heard people say, look, you can't, no black man can be trained like a, by a white man to be successful. That was said, by the way. I'm not going to say who said that, but that was said. And they were all discrediting McCracken before the defeat, by the way. So imagine after the defeat, it's like, we told you, we told you. And when Joshua's had his soul exposed to the public and he's that vulnerable, these messages now find a home. You know, this is how you should be boxing, Joshua, man. You're an African man. You're a black man. You should be slick. You should be slipping, sliding, rolling, this, that, and the third, right? That's what they're telling him. And I was having these debates with people. I said, how are you going to teach him something he doesn't understand? 
there were trainers. There are trainers now, I know this, you know, who, who worked with Joshua while he was with McCracken. So this thing Joshua's doing now is not new. He's always been running around with other trainers. You know, with Tony Sims, I guess there was a handshake on that one. So that's why that happened. But there were other trainers too. And then that became the reason to bring in someone like Angel. And they brought Angel in because, they, because like I said, they wanted that slick Cuban style. Don't understand why. Don't know what problem that was designed to solve. But he comes in. Now who do you listen to? If you've got Rob McCracken and Angel Fernandez in your corner, I promise to God you're not listening to either one of them. So then we wait for the wait for the rematch. The rematch gets called strategically because they can see that Ruiz is enjoying the life too much and Ruiz had ballooned up to like 290 pounds, whatever it is he had ballooned up to. So they call the rematch, knowing that Ruiz ain't going to be able to shift the weight. And they win, and they win by fighting scared. Not by boxing clever, by fighting scared. And a lot of boxing fans all spun into this narrative of, oh, that was a boxing masterclass. It wasn't. Because that's not what you're supposed to do. Lennox showed what you do in a rematch. You stop the guy who stopped you. And it wasn't like Ruiz went running. He was there in the middle of the ring saying to Joshua, come and stop me. And Joshua was like, no, I'm not stupid. And so Joshua never got his, he never got his dignity back as a boxer for that reason. He, he didn't stop Ruiz and didn't try to stop Ruiz in the rematch because the belts were essential to the Joshua project. So it was like, come home with the belts at all costs. And we knew at this point, guys like Fury, guys like Wilder, don't live by those values. They're out for revenge. You put me down, I'll put you down. We saw that in the Fury Wilder trilogy. But this is, at this point now, now everyone's in the ear because you can see once Angel's in, every trainer's like, I can get in. Yeah, I can get in. And believe me, they were getting in. Here's what stopped a lot of trainers committing to Joshua. He wouldn't do it their way. He wanted their knowledge but he wanted to do what he wanted to do with that knowledge. And there were, so, there were so many trainers between Ruiz 1, Ruiz 2. Oh, God, who did he fight afterwards? Did he fight Pulev after that? I think, he, yeah, I think it was Pulev. And everyone was trying to get all up in his ear. Was it Pulev? Jeez, I have absolutely no idea. I should know. But everyone's trying to get all up in his ear. Like, look, here's what I can do for you. So we get the Pulev fight and he stops Pulev. But we know Pulev is sub-world level easily. But now you realise that he's not going to take the risks. And at this point, we've parked any idea of Joshua fighting Fury or fighting Wilder. Because we've seen those two go at it. And we understood that, whew, that looks pretty serious. And I keep circling back to this point when people say, where did it go wrong for Joshua? He stopped listening to the people who got him there. And I think what happens with insecure people is the more things go wrong, 
the more they try and take control of events because they want to control the outcome. They no longer care about controlling the process. They want to control the outcome. And what that means is you stop doing the things that got you there. And as the pressure builds, things go even more wrong. So you try and take even more control. And I think it was, it was during the lockdown I started to hear that Joshua wasn't listening to anybody. You know, remember they brought Joby Clayton on board as well. And you had all these clips of them in Finchley doing this, doing that, doing the third. And so you've got three people in your, you've got three people in your team. Which was embarrassing. How do you have three guys who are head trainers in their own right? Wherever you think about Angel, Joby and Rob, they all see themselves as head trainers. How does this work? This works because here's a guy who's trying to control everything. And he's saying, I want to lead this now. I don't trust any of you, but I need your knowledge. And you get the disaster that was essentially the Pulev fight. But now here's the problem. He knew he had to fight Usyk. He knew he had to fight Usyk. And he genuinely thought he could outbox Usyk. I don't believe there's a man in his corner that believed he could outbox Usyk. I do not believe this for one second. I believe the yes men, I believe the KDs, Le Malinois, all of that stuff, I believe they were like, yeah, yeah, you can outbox him, you can really outbox him. But they don't know anything about boxing. I promise to God, as things get harder, you need to trust your team more. Because had they really listened to him, had they really respected Joshua, they'd have said, hey, you might want to do what you're best at. So at this point, let me, let me stop and just sort of lift the veil. So be very clear about this. Most boxers are intrigued to know what people think about their performance, what people think about their training. So they'll normally reach out to people they trust. Some are, some are professionals, some are still amateur. You'll, you'll still phone or you'll text or you'll message on Insta, whatever. And they'll make, like, I get it a lot where I get, yo, T, what did you think of my, my performance last week? And so as someone who's not in a camp full time, you have to be very careful in what you say because... You don't necessarily know if it's an athlete problem or a training problem. So all you can do is talk about what you saw. Like for me, I might say, look, jab looked good. You know, uppercut looked sharp. Why weren't you throwing the, the straight right? And then there's a discussion around that. So these conversations happen. You can, you can be a head trainer over here. Your person is talking to other people. Because they're always trying to get multiple perspectives. This is just how boxing works. Now, it's about what you use that responsibility for. So I use that responsibility to, to equip boxers to have a, a, a productive and valuable conversation with their training team. Yeah. So if Boxer X comes up to me, and I know he's a superstar trainer, whoever, and he says, what did you think of me on Saturday? I was like, you looked a bit flat. And he may say, yeah had a lot going on before the fight, and then they'll tell me the dramas that were leading up to that fight. 
to that point, I'm like, okay, that's not a training issue. I'm like, well, I mean, do you still trust your trainer? Yeah, you're all good then. Yeah, And that happens after a win, but the energy is different after a loss. That's the difference. There's a, there's a difference in energy after a loss. A fighter will come up to you and they'll tell you everything that went wrong in camp. And there's always someone else's name attached to it. And so my question back is normally, well, if so many things went wrong, you're the guy paying everyone. Why weren't you regulating? And they go quiet. A lot of times when people lose, it's because of what happened with the boxer, not the trainer. The trainer is a smaller part of the equation than people think. So you get this a lot after a loss. You know, someone will go away and someone might say, listen, T, where are you at? And they say, look, meet me at this gym. Let's do some work. And I always wonder what they're looking for at that point. Maybe they're just looking for a bit of inspiration. But I always say to them, we can work together and we can work on this stuff. But you got to go back to your trainer. Because he knows all the little things that no one else is going to know. All the subtle cues and little tidbits you don't know you're giving them, but you are. And so they've got a more complete picture than anyone else. I'm actually against changing trainers. Definitely not in that early part of your career. So your first 25 to 30 fights, don't change trainers. When you get older, you can do because at that point, you're not really looking to teach. It's not about education at that point. After about 35, so once you've got to your late 20s, early 30s, it's not about education anymore. It's about preparation. It's about environment. It's about culture. You're buying into something completely different. And so all of these conversations happen in the background. They're happening now with the guys who fought on the Sky card, with the guys that fought in the States. They're happening now with the guys that fought on the Crawford card. They're happening now with the guys that fought on AJ versus Usyk too. They always happen. Some trainers like me, I just use them to educate a fighter and say, listen, stay where you are, but now you've got more information. You know what you should be asking for. You know what you should be, you should be demanding. Other people come around the corner and they go, do you know what, mate? You could come and train here and we could solve all of those problems for you. You know, they start rubbing their hands like, ooh, I'm going to get that six-figure payday. Ooh, I'm going to make my money. And there's a lot of that, a lot of whispering, a lot of nudging and winking. You know, I look at someone like Eddie Lamb as an example. Three years ago, if you went to iBox, people thought you were crazy. Now look, Pierce O'Leary, Dennis McCann, Sky Nicholson, Archie Sharp. Uh, the list goes on, right, of guys that have imposition at iBox. You don't think someone's whispering in Sky Nicholson's ear now going, he should come up here. You don't think those trainers are having a little nibble in Essex, up north, wherever. You don't think they're having a little nibble. You don't think guys are talking to Archie Sharp going, maybe, maybe you'd be better off here than you are where you are. This happens all the time, man. A lot of these coaches are snakes. The guys you see all up in the media. They've always got stuff to say in front of the camera, but they're also in the DMs being quite snaky too. So this is what's happening with Joshua. That, which is the point I'm trying to make. Joshua loses to Ruiz. <clears throat> Everyone gets up in his messages. 
with the perfect answer because hindsight's twenty twenty. Then they're telling him what he should do in the rematch, right? This is all up in the DMs, in person, whatever. Slowly, slowly chipping away at this guy. And what that's doing is it's eroding the bond with Rob because Rob's like, we don't need to change. We need to go back to what got us here. Yeah, mid-range aggression, intensity, punches and bunches, suffocating people with that psychological pressure. Because we don't have the one, we don't have the one punch knockout power here. So you've got Rob saying that. You've got Angel with his philosophy, which is a bit loose, like, you know, let's try and keep it as long as we can, as loose as we can. So who prevails? And then, like I said, in the meantime, you've got Joby going, you've got to breathe the karma in. You got to sweat the karma out, whatever he says. So you got all of these elements kind of bubbling in Joshua's head. And let's be real, Joshua's not the kind of guy that needs too many thoughts in his head. You know, I don't care what that sounds like to anyone, but he's not like he's the kind of guy where you need to strip everything away and go, "This is what you're doing," and that's it. And so, when there's confusion. Joshua becomes the voice he listens to. He listens to his own voice. He doesn't listen to Rob. He does because everyone's briefing against each other. But this is the chaos he created. None of those guys offer an incremental benefit that Rob McCracken couldn't offer. Don't care what anyone says. Like, Rob will get you strong. He'll get you fit. He'll get your basics and your fundamentals solid. And that's really all you need when you're Joshua's size. You should be able to win multiple world titles just doing that. This idea that you're going to turn into Teofimo Stevenson. This idea that you're going to be Riddick Bowe on the inside. This idea that you're going to, you know what I mean, have that Evander Holyfield approach. This idea that you're going to be Lennox is ridiculous. And so Joshua burns up all of this energy. So heading into the Usyk fight, this is all the mess that's happening in Joshua's life. He wants to be in control of his business. He wants to be in control of the streets. He wants to be in control of this. He wants to be in control of that. That's where you got the BLM speech, all of this stuff, because Joshua wants to be the man in everything. He doesn't delegate. This is a frustration in Team Joshua. Joshua doesn't delegate. In Anthony Joshua's position, he should be saying this, I am a boxer. So while I am a boxer, you lot need to be running the other stuff. I'll check in, but I shouldn't have to interfere. The problem is he interferes too much. So morale's down in Team Joshua. But here's the paradox. He doesn't show leadership. Yeah. When things aren't working, he doesn't show leadership and make decisive changes, which he should do. Who's your main trainer, Rob or Angel? Didn't make a decision. In fact, added Joby for more confusion. McCracken's like, what the hell is this? So who's he listening to? Because he's not doing what I want him to do. So that takes us to Usyk 1. And you saw in Usyk 1, AJ got thoroughly outboxed by, <laughs> through his own misadventure of him trying to outbox Usyk. How do you try and outbox Usyk? Like he's never seen that done before. And if you remember in the corner, you could just hear Joby Clayton going, great work and all this sort of nonsense. People said it was McCracken. It wasn't. Rob doesn't talk that much. And Joshua got thoroughly schooled, outboxed, nearly got stopped. And he was happy at the end that he didn't get put down. 
And if you remember, his reaction at the end was weird because he was there praising like, yeah, 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 we're going to do it again. But you could see at that point, that's hurting because he knows he got beaten up by a small heavyweight, by a guy who struggled with Chisora initially. And then you go, okay. And at that point, you realize that's the end of McCracken. Yeah. That, that was the end of McCracken. What did they do? They then go off to America. I think Angel might have gone out there with him as well. So, so he knew he'd be staying. So even, yeah, even Joby was like, I don't need this for a game of cards. It's not worth the hassle. Right. And we're all looking around going, who the hell's in charge there? KD's going to be in charge of camp operations, whatever the hell that's called. He's supposed to be saying who's who's running the camp. Who's, I mean, Joshua should have delegated all of this stuff, but it doesn't seem he was able to. And then we had that whole embarrassing tour around the States, which is disrespecting Rob, by the way. Are you going to all of these different gyms? And I can only tell you what I heard coming out of those gyms. They all said, we're not coming to the UK. You need to come here. This is the environment that generated the success that you are attracted to. Therefore, you come here. And he was like, nah, I want to do it in the UK. And they said, no, nah, we can't do it. The only person who wanted to come over was Roberto Garcia. Because remember, you don't get a percentage with Joshua. You get a flat fee. So Roberto Garcia was like, yeah, I'll come over. And if you remember, he was talking all the right talk. Like, yeah, it's all mental. It's this, it's that. Stuff we already knew. Because we've seen this journey. We never got the impression that Joshua was a tough guy. Never got that impression. Because you've never seen him do tough guy things. The way he could have shown he was a tough guy was just by saying, I'll fight Wilder. Yeah, I'll take less money, but I'll take more money in the rematch. Easy. Could have done that. Didn't. And because he's in control, just look. The guy's got the same endorsement deals he had five years ago. No growth. So where, where's all of this leadership? And maybe that was the point of 258. Joshua wanted to control everything. He knew he could control Eddie because he signed with Eddie when Eddie wasn't who Eddie was going to become. So he knows he's got maximum stay and he was, he was Eddie's biggest revenue stream. He was Eddie's calling card. So between Usyk 1 and Usyk 2, his value's like rock bottom. He's not, he's not, he's a draw. But he's not going to draw other fighters into matchroom now because you're like, I don't see him beating Usyk in the second fight. That's when they get Roberto Garcia in. And we're hearing now that Roberto Garcia was marginalized by Joshua. He wasn't doing the things Joshua wanted him to do. So Joshua gets him on board for what exactly? What's the point of getting Roberto Garcia on board when you still trust Angel? Do you remember when people were like, how the hell is this going to work? And they said, we're going to try it out in the Reactport fight and then we'll see what we do for Joshua. And you're like, what? For me, if Roberto Garcia shows up, he's head trainer. Start and end of it. He's head trainer. He's won too many things. He's too experienced. He knows the game too well to have to play second fiddle to Angel Fernandez. Whatever you think about Angel, I haven't said anything out of turn there. 
So we get to the second Usyk fight. And people say Joshua performed better. No, Usyk performed worse. Punches thrown, movements made. Usyk was down on the previous fight. Hardly surprising when your country's been involved in a, in a war. They may not call it a war, but it's a war. Where you've got friends and family Im- impacted. No surprise that Usyk may, may not have been at his best. His mind was elsewhere. But still had enough to beat Joshua. Joshua had one really good round. And the scorecards looked like they were going to get cooked. But they couldn't get cooked because Usyk was too good. So that's twice. Small heavyweights. Well, short in stature heavyweights have beaten Joshua. And the meltdown you saw... And you know I did the commentary on it. You might want to revisit that video before the end of the year. Because it tells you everything that was to come. We can break it down again. Robert Garcia, after that fight, just held his corner and said, you know what? I told these guys this is what would happen. And they didn't listen to me. So he was like, I want nothing to do with this. Like This is affecting my brand. And Roberto Garcia just went, shoom, found a corner to chill in. And at that point, you realize no one had authority over Joshua in Team Joshua. At that point, you realized he was the man calling the tune in his own operation. Because like I said, Big Nas Ahmed couldn't do anything. Malinois number two, KD, couldn't do anything. No one could tell him to stop. His dad couldn't tell him to stop. I think I said in that video, Joshua became like the child that he's been trying to protect his whole adult life. Like, like in the Ruiz fight. But there's only so many times you can take that kind of humiliation. That was the third time someone has stripped his soul bare and shown that there's nothing there. It's not a rock under all of that. And he's got to look around and see guys like Fury getting up from the dead. He's got to see guys like Wilder getting up time after time and still dropping Fury. Meanwhile, he sees his clubmate Derek Chisora, one of the toughest men, and Joshua knows he doesn't belong in that camp. It dawns on him he's not one of the greats. Yet in his head, he still thinks there's a technical solution to his mental problems, and there isn't. What separates Joshua from Wilder, Fury and Chisora, those guys are not afraid to get knocked out. They accept his path for the course. You're going to get put down. It's about what you do afterwards. I don't think Joshua's cut from that same cloth. I don't think Joshua's built that way. I don't think he will ever be built that way. And that's why you're seeing this world tour again of all these different gyms and you're floating around at Virgil's gym and he was conveniently not there when Tony Yoko was there. Not a surprise because... Whatever you want to say about Yoko, man, he went out on his feet. But those two guys are in the same situation. Am I really who and what I think I am? This is the side that fans don't get to see. I've seen this over numerous meals, drinks, whatever, where someone's like, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. And then you go back with, well, how good did you think you were? I could be a world champion. It's like, really? Based on what? 
And for Joshua, the justification is my promoters could get me anything I wanted. Joshua's never beaten one of the established killers in the division. Hasn't fought Wilder, hasn't fought Fury. Didn't fight a live Ortiz. You even wonder how he'd have got on against the prime Hellenius. Now here's Joshua's problem. His time to have unified, made his money and escaped has passed. Even if you gave Joshua the belts now, if you took them off Uzik and put them on Joshua now, look who you got to fight. You got to fight Hergovich, you got to fight Joyce, you got to fight Dubois. Three guys who can beat him. Three guys where he may be the underdog, but definitely three guys that are going to hurt him and say, we're going to find out how tough you are. And the real fear is he may have used up his reserves of toughness in that Klitschko fight. Because we've never seen that since. We haven't seen that, that wild, relentless energy since. Those, those smashing uppercuts. We haven't seen that. So are we now of, of the opinion, are we now holding our hands up and accepting that maybe Vlad beat the fight out of Joshua? And if that's the case, no trainer's going to help him. Derek James won't help him. Ronnie Shields ain't going to help him. Virgil Hunter ain't going to help him. Not only can they not help him, he's not equipped for what they need to do. He hasn't got that schooling. For all of Finchley's success of making heavyweights in the last 20 years, it's not a place you go to learn the, the real science of the sport. What they're good at is getting you ready to fight in the Harringay Box Cup, to fight in the novices, and maybe fight in the ABAs. They're good at that, but in terms of providing that real education, you know, multiple ways to solve the same problem, giving you options, showing you how to make good decisions, staying in control, they don't do that, but they're not the only ones. It's the problem in boxing in general. Most people teach what they were taught. It was interesting. I watched the video of Jamie Carragher with Mikel Arteta and Arteta said something interesting when they were talking about, you know, do you just copy the Johan Cruyff principles? And it was like, no, you've got to internalize them. You got to take those principles, combine them with what you learn on the field and on the training ground and then work out how you optimize that. And he, he praises Guardiola for being able to take Cruyff's principles to another level. That's what you're supposed to do. But these guys just teach what they were taught because they don't understand that. And British boxing suffers as a result. So there's no point in Joshua going out to America. He's not going to learn. And he's at that age where the brain ain't going to let him learn. He should swallow his pride, in my opinion, and go back to McCracken. Go back to McCracken. Apologize. Go back to GB. Get rid of KD. Get rid of that Nazam. Get rid of everybody. And go back to what matters. Training. I think I've been asked this before, so I'm going to answer it again in the same way that I, I answered it before. What should Anthony Joshua do next? I've always said he should take a year off. I don't necessarily mean... Don't, don't box, balloon up to 20 stone or whatever. I don't think that. 
but I think you should take a year off and I'd have it two months on, one month off. So you'd have four blocks. And in those blocks, I would hire out, even if it's a warehouse, I don't care. I'd hire out a warehouse, kit it out, three rings, three rings, some gym stuff, whatever, whatever's needed. And I'd put a notice out to every heavyweight, cruiserweights, heavyweights, come down here, Monday to Friday, we're working. And Josh was in there every day. You can't bring your coaches. It's just him, his coaching team, and some guys coming through to train and to learn. And if you can get 10 to 15 of the, of the best heavyweights in this country down, just training there, and you can just absorb that and just learn off them, they can learn off you. I think having Joshua in that kind of environment, that competitive environment where he ain't going to be the, the best at everything, I think that will, that's the sea change he needs. That thing where he's not in control. Where he just listens, like he did at Finchley, like he did at GB. Where he listens, and he does as he's told, and he gets a chance to compete. Maybe there's someone that runs faster than him. Maybe there's someone that jumps higher. Maybe there's someone who's got a nicer one-two left hook, and he can compete. Because you're not going to get the old Joshua back unless he can prove he can hang with anybody. That's where we need to get to. In Joshua's, honestly, in Joshua's world now, I'd hire out a venue, I'd build up my own camp and I'd say everyone who's a heavyweight or cruiserweight, if you think you can hang, you come here. And you have that kind of hard sparring, brutal sparring. Because maybe people get put down, noses get hurt, whatever. And you, you just build that brotherhood. Special guests come over from the States and go, look, I need some of that work. And Joshua can even say, listen, I'll pay you. Pay for your hotels, whatever. Because without that, I don't see how Joshua gets better. You can bring in people by all means, like he's done it, bring them from Germany, wherever. That's cool. But they're there for a specific purpose. You need people who aren't even there for a purpose. They're just there to get better themselves. And they're there to challenge you. I think if AJ had a year of that, Two months on, one month off. Two months on, one month off. Two months on, one month off. You see a completely different man. Physically, mentally, spiritually. I don't think you can right the wrongs. And I genuinely think against the big hitters in the division, Anthony Josh is out of his depth. They've just got too many strings to their bow now. And they've shown that they are tougher than he is. So I don't, know, I don't know what he can do there, but he can still have entertaining fights and he can still be in that discussion. It depends how bad he wants it. When you're a multimillionaire and you've kind of achieved what you set out to do, what are you still doing it for? You wonder with Joshua, is this about the glory? Is it about the money? You know, I know he talked about that silly triangle before, but I do wonder, is it about the money? Is it about the legacy? Because he's definitely got one and not the other. But it all starts with a very simple idea, guys. When a boxer is the dominant voice in their own camp, the rot's already set in. 
if you don't have someone in your camp that you will listen to unquestioningly, you don't have a proper team. And from what Roberto Garcia was saying, Joshua doesn't have that. From what we saw after the Usyk 2 fight, Joshua doesn't have that. For what we saw, even after the Klitschko fight, Joshua doesn't have that. What you see in Snapchat, Joshua doesn't have that. Joshua always has to be the main man. And that doesn't work. Because if you don't have that blind trust, it shows you don't have the delusion. And it's the delusion that makes you great. It's that delusion to believe you can do the impossible that makes you great. And it's a big concern that Joshua doesn't seem to have that delusion. He seems to be ignorant to the importance of that delusion, but he doesn't seem to have that delusion. And I don't know how you fix that. Well, I probably do, but you know, are they going to pay me for that? Because I tell you this now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stomach it. I'd happily walk away from whatever it is he's paying because the disrespect's not worth it. Like Roberto Garcia's reputation might not recover from this. So as things stand, we don't know what's happening with Joshua, do we? We don't know if Angel's still part of the team. Don't even know if KD's still part of the team. Don't know anything. What we do know is that Team Joshua have started briefing against Roberto Garcia. Isn't that what Fraser Clark said? Was he even a trainer? And you're like, what? How dare you? How dare you? Like, like that guy's CV is not to be questioned. You can't say, is he even a trainer? Did he even train? No, nah, no, nah, you can't disrespect his name like that. I just think, yeah, it's an absolute mess. Back to McCracken. Just admit you got everything wrong. Get rid of all the hangers-on. Because someone has to tell Joshua you can't do everything. I just wonder who that's going to be. Because it won't be me. And I note, I'll say, guys, listen, enjoy the rest of your Christmas. I'm going to sign off. I didn't realize it was going to be this long. Wow. <laughs> Have a great time with family and close ones. And we shall speak soon. You take care. <laughs>